Welcome to Bellies, Babies, and Birth. My name is Amy Vanderlinden, and I'm a physical therapist specializing in pelvic health and myofascial work. I have a passion for helping women thrive throughout pregnancy, delivery, and that postpartum period so that they can get back to the activities they love. This podcast is to help provide education and resources and also to build community, particularly here in the Phoenix Valley. Enjoy! All right, you guys, we are back with another episode of Bellies, Babies, and Birth, the podcast here to build community, um, especially in the Phoenix Valley and just amongst women and families, just trying to provide resources for you guys and information. And my name is Amy Vanderlinden. I'm a physical therapist specializing in pelvic work. And today I am here with Nicole Hammock, and I'm just going to let you tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm so grateful you were able to take the time today. So tell us about your family and who you are. Thanks, Amy, so much for having me on this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, My name, again, is Nicole Hammock. I am a certified doula as well as a certified professional birth photographer and videographer. Um, I live smack dab in central Phoenix with my husband of almost 15 years and my two children who are three and five. Um, yeah, I've been working as a, a certified doula um, for five years here in the Valley. Before that, I was a licensed massage therapist and yoga teacher for a very, very long time. That's awesome. Yeah, I forgot that you used to be a yoga teacher. Yeah. Um, and your beautiful kiddos, of course. And Ryan's actually a physical therapist, too. He is. Um, yeah, he does. He specializes in orthopedic stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, a little different from what you do, but I know one of these days he and I will meet in real life. Right. <laughs> no, so okay. crazy. Well, tell us a little bit. So you used to be massage and yoga. How did you end up getting into was photography first or doula work first? So doula work was first for me. I um because through so women's health and women's reproductive rights have been really, really important to me throughout my whole life, really. I read The Handmaid's Tale when I was like 13. I was in middle school Wow! for a book report. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> my mom gave it to me. She's like, here, this is a good one for your book report. Um, and so I read The Handmaid's Tale when I was like 13 years old and it changed my life. And I became very, very active in women's reproductive health and women's rights and, um, really took that took off for me, especially in college. And um, when I became a yoga teacher, I taught, I also learned about teaching prenatal yoga. And, um, you know, for me, yoga was very much part of like me healing from uh, abuse, from uh, eating disorders, from all sorts of things. So like, to me, like yoga was very much my therapy and helping other women through that, through my own experience and through yoga was great. And then I became a massage therapist and after that and was doing both together and again, started working a lot with pregnant women or women recovering from pregnancy or things like that. And um, even though I hadn't had children at the time, the, the like magic and mystery, if you will, of pregnancy and birth and how to me, it suddenly became clear that the rights of a birthing person are, to like the ultimate expression of women's reproductive rights, really. Um, and I think it's an aspect of women's reproductive rights that we don't really consider, um, which is shocking and 
awful. Um, <laughs> it seems like as soon yeah. as a woman's pregnant, she has like suddenly no rights and she's no longer a human. Um, so it, it became quickly a shift for me. Um, that becoming a doula or becoming a midwife became very interesting to me. So I actually looked at midwifery school when we lived in Portland. I thought about going to OHSU and getting a master's in midwifery. Um, decided against it. My husband was also getting his doctorate in physical therapy at the same time. We were like, do we really need $400,000 in school debt in our 30s? Probably not. Um, <laughs> so uh, I started looking at becoming a doula very seriously. Um, then we moved and it became imperative for me to just, we moved here to Phoenix, and it became imperative for me to just make a living while my husband was finishing his doctorate. And um, but then after the birth of my own, my first child, I, um, my best friend had a really traumatic birth, um, three months after, um, in the hospital. And, um, from that, like her daughter is unlikely to walk or talk or feed herself or basically anything, um, for as long as she lives. And I signed up for a doula training two weeks after that. I swore that nobody that I knew or that wanted my support would suffer a such a trauma um so yeah that's in a nutshell how I became a doula that's amazing so was your first birth in a hospital it wasn't I um I actually had my baby my both of my babies um in my house right in that little bedroom over there next to me and um Every, you know, I didn't actually, I only knew one person in my whole life that had had a home birth. So it was definitely not like, oh, I just ran in a circle with a bunch of people that had home births. Um, and the one person I knew was from Oregon and she had been an employee of ours at our place up there. And she like lived off the grid. She lived on an organic farm, like in a lean to like with her kid, you know, like it was very not, you know, I never really thought, oh, home birth is definitely what I'm going to do. Right when I have babies. But um, when I started looking into birth and I really considered like what I wanted, it became clear to me that out of hospital birth was what I wanted. I am terrified of needles when they're coming at me. I can support a client getting an epidural or a blood draw or an IV all day, every day. But if they're coming at me personally, I like to fall over and faint. So I was like, I don't even want to be in a place where they want to like put needles in me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I did, I had a home birth with my first baby. And then when my second was, I was pregnant with my second, I hired the same midwife and did it all over again. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm same about needles. People ask me my opinion about dry needling. I'm like, well, it involves needles. So I'm already out. <laughs> I actually, like regardless of all the theory of all the things, I'm like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just out. Like, I it's know. Just Acupuncture no. was actually the one thing that helped me with hyperemesis because I had HG, hyperemesis gravidarum with my first kid. And I tried so many things to help. And acupuncture actually was the main thing that would give me some like slightly fluffy days. And yeah, I mean, but I'd have to like, gear myself up to like go in and like meditate and get into like a Zen space so that I could like lay there and have her put needles in me. And I would just be like, it's fine. You're fine. It's fine. You're fine. 
Yeah, and it would take something like all day vomiting to inspire yeah. me to get. Yeah. I mean, I believe in it, and I send people there all the time. My kids have gone. My husband loves it, and yeah. I've it's had great. like one or two for a thing. So I love it. But yeah, it it's gonna be after I've tried the the other things. Um, but at least those things. are tiny. Acupuncture needles are really they're so teeny tiny. They're nothing like you know IV needles. No. Yeah. Or even like to donate blood, those needles are really huge. No, thank you. Won't yeah. be doing that. I really want to be that person. I've that, tried. Like, I had a really traumatic donation experience and that was the game ender for me. Nope. Nope. With that. But yeah, I feel same. I'm like, it's our duty. Like I'm healthy. Like I should, anyway. Yep. I, I, I get it. I'm a positive. So nobody really wants my me blood too. anyway. Me too. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm a positive also. I always think of it because like I got an A plus. That's yeah, that's me too. <laughs> I'm that overachiever. I'm like A plus, even my blood type. Yay. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> that is really funny. Um, random. Okay. So that was a random tangent, everybody. Yeah, total tangent there. Yeah. So that's how you became a doula and yeah. you had your own kiddo. And then would you say, I'm sure it's ebbed and flowed over the years and changed somewhat, but do you do more in hospital births or what's your percentage of in birth center in hospital or at home? Yeah. Um, it's definitely changed over the years for sure. Um, when I first got started, I mean, 90 90, even probably 5% of my clients were all home birth or I'm sorry, hospital birth clients. Um, you know, I started out pretty slow, um, with doula clients as because I had an infant when I started out. And then, you know, 16 months after I'd had my first baby, I got pregnant with my second baby. And while I wasn't as sick, I definitely was not super well. So I did take a very limited load the year I was pregnant with Ellis as well. Um, and, you know, I never lie about it. I, um, out of hospital birth to me is where my heart lives. It's what I specialize in. It's what I know to su- how to support the best. Do I work in the hospital? Absolutely. Um, and I believe that the women that birth in the hospital, 100,000 million percent need and should have doula support. Completely. Um, I, I, you know, I, I work with a total of three hospital providers at this point that deliver at three Valley hospitals, basically. Um, there are, and then there's like some gray area ones that I will be like, okay, if it's the right client, I'll work with them. Um, but I prefer to, if I'm working in the hospital for it to be a high risk situation. Um, and I leave my low risk moms for out of hospital, their home birth or birth center. So now my client load is mostly about like 80% out of hospital and 20% in hospital. So, well, since again, I- like that's a zero judgment statement. It's just, yeah. What I prefer to do, what I specialize in. So, you know. Bottom uh, line is the advocacy for the woman to have, to A, like we could go down the rabbit hole of informed consent. That's happened on this podcast many times. Yeah. Which is additionally challenging in a hospital setting. Um, But I think. Informed consent. Wait, what? They do that there? Does that exist anymore? Um, Yeah. My favorite is watching every single epidural that gets administered to a client, they sign the papers after they've gotten the epidural. Every single time. And I'm like, hmm, 
risk assessment would have a field day with the fact that this happens all of the time. Right. Well, and whether it's, you know, I know some of the reasons we're going to talk about it because I want our listeners to know, but the things that it's not about whether it's hospital or home or birth yeah. center, it's about a woman choosing. It's not about pro epidural, con epidural. It's knowing your choices, Absolutely. knowing the pros and cons of those choices Correct. and making an actual conscious choice as opposed Correct. to just being forced, bullied, or fear or scared or whatever, right. you know, I always, I tell all of my clients, regardless of where they think they would like to birth, like in our initial interview process, I'm like, regardless of what you think, like, here's some resources that I think are really good that give you a broad picture of all, you know, all settings and a really broad picture of what all of the intervent various interventions or non-interventions that may occur during birth are. Like Pushed by Jennifer Block is one of my all-time favorite um, books on maternal health care in this country. I think it's brilliant. I think every woman should read it. And actually her new book, um, Below the Waist, is frigging mind-boggling. And every woman, childbearing or not, should read that book because it will change your life. Like it is- Oh, her last name for us. Block, B-L-O-C-K, like oh, a building I, block. And it's Jennifer? Jennifer, yeah. Okay. We'll she, post that in the show notes. Yeah, she, book. her books are unbelievable. Um, Babies Are Not Pizza by Rebecca Decker from Evidence-Based Birth is also one of my fav- my new faves. I absolutely love it. And again, like these, neither of these books are pro-anything. They're pure information for you to soak up and start to understand like what's important to you, what do you want so that you can be making informed choices in your maternal health care and during um, your birth, which I, you know, for me is key. And I will, I tell it all the time to my clients. I, I, I spend the massive amount of money every year to be a professional evidence-based birth member um, so that I can have all the up-to-date information um, I can have all the handouts. I have all of the podcasts. I have all the webinars. I have literally any information that you want. I can get, um, and I do get from my clients from evidence-based birth. And I believe in her work there so much. That's awesome. Well, I mean, we're there. It's May 15th right now. This will air on May 22nd. We are, I don't know if it's fair to say we're in the middle of the pandemic. I, bottom line is nobody knows, right? Right. Um, Arizona starting to open back up, which is where you and I both are, but it's different all over the country. Um, what have you been seeing in the hospitals and for mothers and care right now with this additional new challenge? Well, unfortunately, I haven't seen anything because they kicked us out um, along with visitors uh, back months ago now. Um, I was actually the very last doula allowed in the very last hospital that was allowing certified doulas in um, six weeks ago. Gosh, yeah, like six weeks ago it was. Um, St. Joe's was the very last one to kick out certified doulas, and I happened to be going with a home birth transfer uh, to St. Joe's. Um, We got there at 6 a.m. At 7 a.m., they changed their policy, and it was, so yeah, it was, it felt very strange to be told while I was in there, oh, we're no longer letting you guys in. Um, and to know that I was actually the last, the last one standing, if you will, um, not, not exactly what I was imagining. Um, it's a really unfortunate situation. Um, unfortunately, like my business partner, 
Um, she had a client who was due to be delivering twins, for instance. Her twins were um, breech, but she had a doctor who was confident in helping her deliver vaginally at one of our area hospitals. Um, my colleague labored with her client at home for quite some time. They got to the hospital. She waved them goodbye. And, you know, their doctor met them at the door and wheeled them in. And so they were able to make that exchange. And she switched to giving virtual support. And um, a couple hours later, her doctor walked in and said to her, in a nutshell, um, the hospital says I have to take your babies out by C-section right now because of COVID. And I, they won't let me let you deliver vaginally. And, and those words, let you, like always just give me a heart attack um, because nobody should be letting a woman do anything. It's her body. It's her babies. She should call the shots 100% of the time. Um, anyway, they then denied her things like Pitocin, which would help her actually be able to deliver vaginally. And she was eventually medically coerced into having a cesarean section and delivered her babies via cesarean section. Um, it's I saw that shame. picture. I saw that picture that your um, coworker posted of yeah. goodbye at the hospital door. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I've seen and all, many, many doulas talking about the, you know, trying to support virtually and. It's really um, challenging. It's very challenging to support virtually. There's a couple of my colleagues out there who are great at it. I won't lie. I'm impressed. I don't, they do an amazing job of it. Um, and I won't lie also, I'm not as great at it. For me, I'm an in-person touchy-feely, I want to be hands-on kind of person and saying, you know, like not being, I had two clients recently be induced for medical reasons and I wasn't able to be with them at all during their labor. And it was brutal for me to not be able to be with them. Um, and a, an induction process is a long process and normally I would be with them through that whole thing, holding their hand and keeping them calm and helping them you know, really walk through the decision-making process of each and every intervention as it comes. And instead I was at home and trying to support them virtually. And um, it's really too bad because even in places like New York where they had a far worse outbreak than Arizona has, according to the numbers, and, and it, it, it seems to be backed up by deaths and, and ICU counts and things like that. Um, they've, you know, their governor, uh, Governor Cuomo, came out and said, no, doulas are essential to the healthcare team and they should be allowed in and designated as non-visitors. And it's something that me and Michelle Ludwig, who's also a local doula here, have been working day and night trying to get our voices heard to the right people that doulas are essential. Doulas are not visitors in the hospital setting. Doulas provide evidence-based care. And even during a pandemic, especially during a pandemic, patients should not be deprived of evidence-based care regardless. Yeah. Period. End of story. And they are being denied evidence-based care. Um, at one of another local hospital, they're not letting women use peanut balls or birth balls. It's in complete insanity. They're one of the easiest things you could possibly need to clean. 
You no. throw it in the shower, you wash it down with soap and water after she's given birth. I mean, it's not, oh but supposedly it's a sanitation issue. Again, soap and water, as we know, does a great job killing COVID-19. That's how you clean those balls anyway. What's the difference? But they started, they started denying women that evidence-based practice at those two area hospitals. And it's an absolute shame. And that hospital is known for having a 99% epidural rate. And that peanut ball is essential to helping those women be able to open up their pelvis, change position, and help their babies move down into the birth canal. And it's such an absolute shame that over and over again in Arizona, women are being denied evidence-based care, even as we've now allowed uh, elective surgeries back into the hospital settings. People can go to restaurants. People can do all these different things, and yet they are continuing to say no certified doulas in the hospital setting. Wow. Can't tell you why. So even with things that you're opening up just literally this week, literal, some of the regulations lift today, you yes. guys are still not allowed in. Correct. I know we've all been uh, signing petitions and different things as you guys have been trying to reach Governor Ducey. Um, yeah. So it is what it is. And I mean, I'm so grateful for what you and Michelle are doing. Um, what, what can you tell moms during this time to give them some encouragement and hope as we continue to fight, as we continue to try to get voices heard? This is one of many in a long line of issues we've had to kind of fight for. Right. Um, it's particularly unfortunate in this time in history and maybe one of the bigger right this moment. I've read multiple stories of women's birth stories here in Arizona in the last three to six weeks um, of different elements of being forced and bullied yeah, and it's, lied it's to tragic level stuff. Yeah. yeah it, and, and I mean, I see them a lot after and yeah, the trauma of any kind of unmet expectations in that birth process um, already leaves a mark. You add things like this where you're separated from loved ones, you're threatened baby's going to be separated from you. Yep. All of those different things, you're forced testing, forced treatments, forced, um, you know, deprivation of treatments um, and resources, whether that's the peanut ball or their doula or their husband or partner. Correct. Um, all of those things have been, have come up and have been realities for women. What, what can we tell them right now? What can we say? I want to hear what you're going to say. Well, you know, I, with my own personal clients, I've been trying to say, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm still, I'm still here for you. I'm still going to do my very, very best to support you during your birth and your birthing process. I won't lie. I've been encouraging every single one of my clients that is low risk to consider switching to out of hospital birth. I have been willing to give up part of my fee in order for those women to be able to afford out of hospital birth. Um, and I know a lot of our mid, that was what I was going to say, but I wanted to hear what you were going to say. Do you have any idea what the numbers have looked like? Cause I know a lot of women have shifted to birth centers or home births because of COVID. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. I don't honestly know how many have actually okay. switched. Okay. I know that a lot of home birth midwives got a rush of inquiries, right? Um, unfortunately, they got a, a rush of inquiries from a lot of people who wanted free services. Um, and 
that's an unfortunate thing, right? It is an unfortunate thing. And this is a whole other soapbox for me to get on that insure. Oh, it's a big soapbox too. I could talk for hours about the fact that state insurance um, and insurance companies do not cover out of hospital or birth center births. Whoo, let me get yeah. you, let me get started on that. But um, the fact that they're out of pocket for 99% of people um, means that a lot of those women don't have another choice, especially the women that are on state insurance. Why are we continuing to limit access to women who are on state insurance? Again, boggles my mind. Yeah. Income inequality continuing to shape women's health care is infuriating to me. Infuriating. And so, um, and yet, like midwives, they don't make a ton of money. I can tell you that. There's no midwives driving or, you know, living in million dollar homes and driving, you know, brand new cars and, you know, eating all the fancy restaurants and things like that, you know, they're all living a humble means. And same with us doulas, you know, we can only take so many clients, same with midwives every month and be able to have with a general certainty that we're going to be able to serve that client and be with them emotionally and energetically and be able to serve them. I mean, I have my longest birth ever was five days, Amy, five days of my life I gave for this family. And, you know, when you charge a thousand dollars, sure, a thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money, but when you spend five days with somebody nonstop living in a hospital setting, sleeping on a four out, a four foot couch and drinking yucky coffee, like, yeah, I'm worth every penny of that thousand dollars, you know? Um, so it's, you know, so I ha I won't lie. I have been encouraging a lot of my low risk clients to consider switching. Um, that's also not really anything new to me, quite frankly. Well, um, again, it's about educating them about their choices. Correct. So again, I always go back to offering my clients lots of information, um, documentaries, books, actual, true facts and information studies, etc. And, but the thing that the fact of the matter is, is that hospital birth is necessary. It's not going away. It shouldn't go away. There are, I have worked with lots of clients in my career that the hospital is the only and best and safest place for them to have their babies, period. End of story. I am grateful for it every single day. Um, and but the women that truly need to be in the hospital, whether for financial reasons, they are on state insurance. Uh, and maybe, you know, we have more, you know, we have lots of women of color who are on state insurance. Um, we have high risk clients, all these people that have the worst outcomes who desperately need their doula support are the ones being denied it. You know what I mean? And so that is, is a real, it's not a bummer. I was going to say it's a bummer. It's a lot more than a bummer. Um, I just like don't have another word. Like, it's infuriating. It's heartbreaking. It's tragic. And, you know, and on the total flip side of that, we've got a hundred plus sort of, you know, local certified and professional doulas in Arizona who are all small, independent women owned businesses who are all losing their businesses because people 
all those hospital birthers are currently hiring doulas because they don't think they're going to be able to have that support. They don't understand the importance of the pregnancy support, of the informational support, of that emotional and um, energetic support during their pregnancy and their immediate postpartum. You know, my work doesn't stop when you have a baby. I'm still on call for you postpartum, you know, during that six week postpartum visit or period, you know, before you see your doctor again, because most people don't go see their doctor again until six weeks. So that's too late for so, for so many women to have issues addressed. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's like, we're not just the actual labor support. Um, we are so much more than that. For sure. And I mean, there's even doulas who specialize in that postpartum period. Um, and that's the main part Absolutely. they do. Um, well said and so much said. Um, we have such an extraordinary birth community here in Phoenix. And maybe, you know, we've all got our own, because I mean, I face a ton of the same challenges. I'm a cash practice. You know, some of my clients are fortunate enough to have out of network benefits or their HSA or FSA accounts that we can still right. access. But um, there are a lot of women that can't afford pelvic physical therapy. Um, and there's a few insurance-based places, but even them, not all of them take access or some of the state mm -hmm. insurances. So at, maybe at some point as we're all in the midst of trying to keep our businesses going, we, we get some grants. That's been a dream of mine to yeah. provide, provide care for women um, coming out of sex trafficking and trauma-based care. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, we'll have to keep brainstorming on that because I agree. It's heart-wrenching. It's unacceptable. Um, and again, just like you said, the basic evidence information, the, the access to care, the options, the choices, um, yeah. and even just that education on choices um, so that they can truly make the best decision for themselves. Yeah. Sorry, I was looking for a, a note that I had taken. So I got hired by this amazing um, woman who of all things, started following my Instagram and started learning about things like out of hospital birth and seeing my work. And she was really inspired and started doing a lot of research. And she initially um, decided when she was pregnant to um, have a birth center birth. And um, but only because her insurance would cover the birth center, um, but not home birth. And she works for a large tech company. There's 12,000 employees at this tech company. And um, I like literally broke into tears when we were having our consultation. And she's like, and then I worked night and day to convince the owners of the company to change our insurance policy to have all home birth covered for every single employee for the rest of all time on our insurance policy. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. And she's like, no, my insurance is covering my home birth 100%. Who is like, this woman? I know. I know. Yeah. I can't. Wow. Well, right. Of course. Name, I wasn't actually asking. I know yeah. you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But le legitimately I'm sitting on this zoom consultation with her. Um, like crying. I was like, that is the most amazing thing. And she's like, you so inspired in me. And I'm like, you so inspired me. You're amazing. <laughs> like, what? Oh. And she's like, yeah. Like I, became, I realized just how many people were being denied, you know, evidence-based care 
just because of what insurance they had and insurance. But that establishes an awesome precedence because, well, I'm wondering, I'm guessing it's gotta be Blue Cross. Like who else would service a massive tech company here in Arizona? I don't know. Maybe United. But that sets a precedence. That's intriguing. We'll have to dive into that more later. I want you to tell us a bit about how you've added photography because you haven't just, a lot of doulas try to offer that or want to be available and try to get some pictures here and there. But I mean, you've taken it to quite the art form. You've gotten some awards lately. Yeah. Um, been featured in some prominent uh, areas for that. So tell us a little bit about how you decided to add that. So that's a really funny story. Um, I won't lie. Like my dad actually just like, he laughs every time we talk. He's like, Nicole, your work is really good. It's so funny that, you know, three years ago, you wouldn't even like take a picture. And, um, and it's true. I, I didn't even own a camera. Um, And after, I think it was after the birth of my, yeah, it was after the birth of my daughter. My dad sent me like a Nikon cool pics. He was like, here, for the love of God, can you take some more pictures of your child, you know, so that we can have pictures. And because really, I mean, I've been married, I've been with my husband for 20 years. And I think we probably have a total of like 10 pictures together other than our wedding day for the entire 20 years that we've been together, like until we had kids. And, um, I'm just not a, wasn't a picture taker. Um, I've been always been a very like live in the moment kind of human being. And so the idea of taking pictures was just not a thing, but then I had a baby and my, my, my best friend, she's been my best friend since the sixth grade was, was with me during my birth of Everly. And she took pictures and she took some video of my baby being born and I have them and I have them saved on my hard drive. And like, I'm so sorry, Kara, if you actually listen to this podcast, but they're horrible. They're like orange and grainy and, you know, like the room was dark. It was a home birth. You know, I had my daughter at 830 at night. Like, what do you expect? They're going to be awful. Um, But I'm so happy to have them. Like, I would be devastated to lose them. Devastated. Um, And... Then I, so I got this cool pigs camera from my dad and I was doing backup for a local, for a colleague, actually. She asked me if I could do backup and she always like brought a camera and took pictures. She didn't call herself a birth photographer at the time, but she's like, I bring my camera and I take pictures. And I was like, oh, dang it. I don't do that. You know? And so I was like, but I have a camera. I had never even like charged the batteries. Like I legitimately had never used it on my poor dad. And so I take this camera to the spur and I took pictures and then I took them home and I put Lightroom on my computer and I uploaded the images, but they were in JPEG. They weren't even in raw because I didn't even know what raw was at the time. And, but I delivered these pictures to these people and they were like, Oh my God, thank you so much for taking these. And I was hooked. I was like, yes oh my gosh, why hadn't I thought about this before? Why? And it was like it, a light, not just a light bulb went off, but like my heart opened and sang. And I was like, this is like, I'm an artist at heart. And like, I have a, like, I'm definitely like, I grew up in the arts and things like that. And this was just like, 
such a bizarre and crazy like message from the universe, if you will, of like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And I literally like two weeks later spent like two grand on camera equipment, not knowing the first frigging thing about what to do with it. And I, you know, I signed up for some photography courses and like I said, I bought all the gear and a couple of local gals kind of took me under their wing and were like, here's what f-stop is and here's what iso is and because i have truly knew nothing about birth photography or photography in general um, i don't know what you're talking about so that's fine if that makes great. you feel better yeah i mean i didn't either <laughs> like if you had said the words f-stop or iso to me three years ago i would have been like mm, i don't know um and so yeah i but i am also that person that if i'm going to do something I want to be the best at it. I, I've always been that way and that person. I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. My poor daughter is taking right after me. It's really hard to watch. Do you know um, what you are on Enneagram? Just out of curiosity. I'm a four. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. But with a three wing, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so... I, yeah, so I started um, just diving in and learning everything I could. Um, I, I found an online platform through a friend of mine who she's actually like co-owner of it. It's called Unraveled Academy and it's an online photography school and it's um, a subscription-based school. It's $15 a month and it has like unlimited classes um, for photography and like anything you want to learn. Um, and so I started taking classes from that all the time and really digging into the, the like global birth photography community and yeah. Um, and here I am. And three years later, I'm, yeah, I won a couple of awards this year for some of my work and it was published in HuffPost and yeah. And then I actually, <clears throat> the same Academy, Unraveled Academy, asked me to create um, the, it's called the Doolatog Workshop, and it goes over, um, it's not just a photography workshop, but this workshop is designed as a three-week workshop designed to help um, doulas and or birth photographers learn how to do both exceptionally well. So be able to provide hands-on support, but also to be able to capture amazing birth moments and birth photography um, and be able to create also award-winning birth images as well as providing that support for your clients. So that launches in August. So I'm super honored to have been asked to create That's that. That's awesome. Workshop. Yeah. And we'll put the link for that, you guys. She's going to share the link with us um, for that class in case anyone's listening and interested in birth photography. I'll post about Unraveled Academy as well. Um, in case people want to check that out, um, or get with you on that. Yeah. I mean, the growing pains have been real, dude. Like, I mean, I even look at work from, of mine from like six months ago. I'm like, Oh, blah, it's crap. Um, you know, but yeah, when you talk about the time commitment too, the editing. Oh um, yeah. Oh, after the fact so much work. I mean, people are like, Oh, you know, like, why does it cost so much? I'm like, well, <laughs> let me count the ways, you know, because like, I also, you know, things that I think are important, like a, I, I work with two full frame cameras all of the time so that, you know, you should always, I mean, any photographer is going to have their main body and their backup body for their camera. 
um, because cameras fail, shutters fail. Happens all the time. I've had it happen to me at a birth. And thank the Lord, I had my backup body and I was able to just screw my lens on and get back to shooting. You can't reshoot a birth. You can't like reschedule that shit. Like it's happening. <laughs> like you can't. And so, you know, I, I made the financial commitment to always travel with two full frame bodies, my lens kit, my flash. Um, you know, I carry like four, four and a half grand in gear to every single birth I walk into, you know, that has me doing either photo doula or video and doula or photo and video, but you know, I bring a ton of gear with me. Um, I might be under selling how much that, I don't know, but it's probably about that. Um, and you know, then there's my Adobe subscription that I pay every month. And then there's my money that I spend on my delivery platform. So like I send all of my galleries through Pixie set and I pay for that every month. Right, and then right. there's, I pay, cause now I do video cause I had to get more crazy. Um, I have to pay for licensed music. And that's something that I feel is very, very important as an artist. I don't like it when people steal my images, it pisses me off. So why in the world would I use unlicensed music in my birth videos? No, not going to do that. So I spend the money every month to buy licensed music to put in my birth videos. Um, you know, then there's continuing education and there's the editing time alone. The editing yeah. time is massive. Videos take me forever. I'm so slow at those, you know, but even like a gallery that happened to have like perfect lighting, it happened during the daytime and they happened to have white walls and, <laughs> you know, I don't have to pull up funny colors from anything. Even those galleries, I, I just crawl over for minimum three to four hours, if not yeah. longer, you know, the really tricky ones. Like I had one recently with green walls, green, dark green walls, Yikes. the whole, the whole room, those dark green walls. But when you bounce flash off of green walls, you also get green light reflected back on the humans. And so trying to pull the green tones out of their skin tone, every single image Good times. It's challenging. It takes yeah. a lot of time, but nobody wants to look like a green monster while they're giving birth. So it's worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, that matters. Yeah, it matters. You yeah. know, <laughs> like, um, so you and I, well, I, I, well, I refuse to just put everything in black and white. A lot of people would probably have just like put it in black and white and called it a day, but like, that's not my, my style. It's not my, it's not what I do. When you've obviously shared how, that photography kind of opened your creative heart and your passions and that aspect of you, which is super strong in force. Yeah. I know some doulas um, or birth workers feel pretty strongly that like that split focus of trying to achieve excellent photography as well as provide excellent doula services. They don't like that split focus or the demands of that. What would you say about that? I was that girl. I used to like openly voice like, well, I don't think it's actually possible to be both a good hands-on doula and a good birth photographer. Legit said those words came out of my mouth multiple times before I picked up a camera. Um, and was I good at it immediately? Nope, not even close. 
I, you know, and when I do mentoring with people who are starting off on this, I show them my first 10 galleries that I ever took. They were for doula clients. There was like no strings attached. They were just happy for me to take pictures at their birth. It's not great. You know, you will never, they will never see the light of day again, you know, like, but my clients are still happy to have them. They love them, you know, but for me as my work and my art has grown, I definitely look back at them and go, hey, this was a stepping stone for sure. Um, but I do think it's possible. In fact, I know it's possible because I do give excellent support and I do take wonderful images. And, uh, you know, I always feel like I manage to deliver galleries that tell their full story and are artful and are beautiful. Sure, there's gonna be some things that aren't captured because there's gonna be things that I'm doing. I'm the one rubbing backs. I'm the one, you know, pouring water in the tub or, you know, doing Walters or doing belly sifting, you know? So those images don't get captured, you know what I mean? Because I am very hands-on as a doula, but you're gonna get the story. You're gonna get the images. And because normally, once that baby's coming out, like actively coming out, I don't need to do anything. Mom's doing it, right? And I'm going to step back and I'm going to click the heck out of my camera to make sure that that mom who's overwhelmed by the sensation of birthing her baby can get that frame by frame moment of when her baby is born into this world and on her chest and crying and her husband's crying and you know, it, all of the magic that happens in those first 60 minutes, really, after birth, there's not a lot for me to do, quite frankly, as a doula. My job normally at that point is to kind of just like step back and help them breathe and make sure that their golden hour is being respected. But other than that, there's not a ton as the doula to do. Get warm towels, maybe, you know, help them get cleaned up, sure, but not something that's really that's hard for me to not take pictures of as well, do you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, when people look back, that's, those are the moments that are really important. The, the holding of the hands between partners, the, the way that they, your partner brushes a tear from your eye, or when your midwife gets close and whispers in your ear that you can do it, or, you know, that's the stuff that, I get to capture because it's not about me in that moment. You know what I mean? It's never about me. It's always about their story and capturing that story in a really creative and artful way. But did it take a lot of practice? Yeah. Like anything that you want to be good at in your life, it's going to take practice. You know, I say this to my kids all of the time, especially my daughter, because like I said, she's a perfectionist like her mom. So when she can't do things the first time, she gets mad. She gets very upset. And I'm like, baby girl, it's okay that you're not good at this yet. Mommy wasn't good at this the first time she did it either. Maybe not the first year she did it. It takes time. It takes practice. And you will get good at this because you are strong enough and you are brave enough and you can do it. And, um, you know, eventually she'll get on board. Okay, I'm going to try again. And, you know, and I think that's important when somebody is taking that leap. We all hold ourselves back mentally from greatness all the time. 
me included, you know, I'll be like, oh, I just don't want to. That's scary and weird. And, you know, like, I really want to eat that chocolate chip cookie or I really, you know, don't want to go on that 12 mile hike today that I really need to do for my training. And, um, you know, we all hold ourselves back. And I know for me, I had a lot of negative speak for a long time before I really decided I'm going to do this. And I encourage other doulas, if they're already taking pictures at first, just, just dive in, just make the jump and, and get great at it. You know, embrace it, embrace that aspect of it. Um, and I think what we're also going to be seeing is a lot of birth photographers who are only birth photographers deciding that they want to get doula certified. Because I do have a sneaking suspicion that as we might eventually be allowed certified doulas back into the hospital setting, that that might be the only way to get visitors, quote unquote, visitors or birth support into the hospital. And so if you want those birth photos, you are going to need somebody who's also a certified doula. Um, That's an interesting possibility for sure. Yeah. That, that could happen. I could see why they weren't going to allow just a photographer, but if you're the doula, yep, that could, that could be happening. Um, so obviously it was also kind of a tangent, but that's how my brain works. So, you know, um, I was with you. Um, well, <laughs> we, we could, we could take a whole other podcast series tangent on the holding ourselves back mentally, but I guess we won't go there today. Um, yeah, the whole entrepreneurial aspect of all the stuff that us birth workers do. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I'm talking a lot about that in my workshop because I, I have three weeks to do it. Yay! Um, because I think that there is so much that goes into that, you know, there's so much mental work that goes into deciding to have your own small business, as you know very well. It's not for the faint of heart, and it takes work every single day. And um, getting great at something takes every single day, you know. And, and I and I tell any client that hires me, like, I I spend time every day reading continuing education, every day, every day. I read something, continuing ed, so that well, anytime I we're going for yeah, and anytime we're going for any kind of excellence, you're going to run into that. You can only take people as far as you're willing to go yourself. Correct. Whether it's your level of healing, whether it's your level yeah. of self development, whether it's your um, business mindset, whether, like you said, continuing education. Um, yeah. yeah. It's an important aspect of any kind of leadership or healing work at all, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So COVID has slightly tweaked this question. This is usually something I discuss with most guests, but where would you like to see women's health, if we want to keep it kind of general, yep. in the next three to five years? I'm also a blatant pessimist when it comes to the healthcare system. So, um, <laughs> okay. I'm a seven. We'll balance it out. Let's go. I'm a deep dark four, you know? Yes. So, and I'm individualist. Yeah. So, add the yeah. unicorns whenever possible. <laughs> I need those people in my life. Believe me. Ditto. Yes. It's a good, um, but 
I'd love women to be taken seriously as humans to start. Like that would be really super freaking cool. Um, like autonomous humans, like not the property of other people, but just autonomous humans who should have the same rights as, you know, non-female humans. Be super cool. That's a good um, start. Yeah. Yeah. So that like, you know, our healthcare could also be covered all the time by insurance and um, we wouldn't get told, oh, it's just in your head or, oh, that's just normal. It's normal for you to just feel like shit for three years after you have a baby. What? Oh, no. you're just emotional. You're just oh, emotional. it's emotional. It's hormonal. hormones. Like what? Why, why are we still accepting that bullshit? Ex- sorry. Go for it. No, go bullshit for it. excuse. Like, no. nah, no, it's not. Sure. Does it happen a lot that women pee themselves after they have a baby? Yeah. Is it, should it be that way? No. Is it treatable? Is it treatable? Now yes. you're getting my soapboxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we, should we absolutely 100,000 million percent cover pelvic floor rehab for every single birthing person in this country? Also, yes. Yes. 100%. Like, should we cover m- mental health for birthing people. Yeah. Yes. Break down those stigmas about postpartum depression and dude. Oh, yeah. I tell every single one of my clients and I will, I, I put it on Facebook. I talk about it in my Instagram, like, because, and I've always been that person, you know, I was that girl in college. I was like, do you have a question about birth control? Because I've been on all of them and I can tell you, you know, like, do you want to talk about vaginas? Is that important to you? Do you, you have a question? Cause I'll talk to you about it. Um, but I'm also that person that after having two children and having postpartum depression after my first and having massive postpartum anxiety after my second, like scary shit. Um, I talk about it. And that's as a person who had resources, right? I am a middle-class white girl with a cute husband and cute kids with privilege coming out of my asshole. And (laughs) like, And I had awful postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Like I was married to my husband for nine years. We'd had a business together. We'd been through ups and downs in our our marriage and our careers and everything. So we thought by the time we had a baby, we're like, eh, we're good. We're fine. We're gonna be great. This is what we've been planning for this baby. We made a five year plan before getting pregnant, girlfriend, five years. Yeah. It's about as good as you can be. Yeah. Literally. We had our baby like five years to the date practically of making that five-year plan. I'm a planner. Um, and, and I was like, we're going to get divorced after we had this baby. I was in a deep, dark place of, I don't even like you. Like, I, I hope you die in your sleep sort of stuff. Like what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, thank the Lord, my best friend, the same friend that took those orange pictures as a marriage and family therapist and was able to talk me off the ledge, you know? Yeah. With my second kid, the anxiety was through the roof and it didn't hit me until like five months postpartum. Right. I was fine. I thought I had sailed through. I was like, ah, I did it right this time. Like, this you is know? what it's supposed like, to feel like. Yeah. You know? But, I'd, and then all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks and I... I could not deviate from my schedule. Gone were the days that I could like do something spontaneously. 
Like if it, I had to write it down in the schedule, I had to know where my children were, like their physical location on the planet at every single moment. And if they weren't next to me, I was in a panic mode Yeah. for months. It was debilitating. Well, I just don't think we have the tools. First of all, when you're in that state, obviously there's already things at play that you're not thinking quote unquote clearly. Correct. So there's already that. Yes. But I also, I remember, and it was way hindsight after I started working with so many other moms and women focused on pregnancy and postpartum that even looking back, I could see some things after, and I still don't know what you would label it, but where things were definitely off. But I don't think we really have a grasp on what is sleep deprivation and what yeah. is just normal hormonal shifts and what is baby blues is what I think more like the accepted, like, oh, you're just a little bit weepy or yeah, weepy is a good word, but it's going to pass more quickly and usually doesn't require outside intervention. Where that line all of a sudden, and then even depression, anxiety results in very different things, as you know, because your two births is totally different. And the fact that I don't think there's a lot known or discussed about the fact that it sometimes doesn't hit till six, 12. 18 months. Yep. Something else can trigger it. And all of a sudden you're like, well, it can't be that because the baby's already eight months old or like, yeah, I just don't think realize it's, that it's very, very, time. very common for women to develop those symptoms. Yeah. Six, eight, 10, 12 months after they've had a baby. And that's rough. Right. And doctors are and by then you've been discharged from your Oh OB yeah, I was just going to say there's no long time providers ago. usually around. So unless you see a family practice person who like who actually has a family practice doctor anymore like right. anybody, you know what I mean? Like you don't have a resource to turn to. Again, mental health care isn't covered by insurance, so woo freaking who about that? You know, so then you're out of pocket and you're looking at 150 bucks a session. To you know, but you already think like you're just a bad mom, right? So that's also we need any help thinking that, right? Yeah, 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 because all moms really need more help thinking you're just a bad mom, right? Yeah, I talk mamas all the time. I talked to a poor friend of mine the other day, and (laughs) she was like, she she texted me and she was like, um, so I spent the whole night like bent over the toilet puking. And also on one of my runs to the bathroom, my baby rolled off the bed. And she's like, I'm officially the worst mom in the world. And you may as well just lock me up. And I called her up and I said, girlfriend, no, no, no. You're now just like every other single mom on the face of the planet because all of our kids have rolled off the bed or fallen off the couch or, you know, done something that makes us their head on whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. You're just part of the club now. Like, yeah, it's fine, but we all beat ourselves up. So yeah, throw a little anxiety and depression into that mix. And it just makes life even harder, you know? And so back to your question, I would love to see maternal mental health covered. I would like to see maternal and birthing person physical therapy covered, period, end of story. And I would love to see state insurance and all insurance cover out-of-hospital birth Yeah. with licensed providers, period. Like it should not, 
insurance should not dictate where a woman gets care. If it's from a, a provider that she deems appropriate for her care. Well, especially in these medical fields, where we're not talking like she's going to go to willy-nilly Jan Smith out in the hills. Sorry, there's a real Jan Smith. That was just totally random. Um, She lives in the hills. (laughs) Suddenly I'm naming someone. I'm the slander. No. (laughs) You know, it's not like we're going, like we're licensed professionals. It's not like there's all this gray area of like, oh, well, my friend Tammy can deliver my baby. I want you to pay her. No, we are all licensed healthcare professionals in appropriate settings evidence-based, like you said. Um, And it should be easy. It should not be a, when I was doing massage, I looked at possibly being able to do like insurance billing. And I was like, but I would have to hire 10 people to take care of my insurance billing. So I think I'm going to take a hard pass on that. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, that's why I have my practice set up how it is. We can't afford to, literally cannot afford to. Yeah, my husband has a, pra- a private practice in the Biltmore. He shares with four other practitioners. The only reason they can afford to take insurance is because they collectively pool together to pay their two, you know, okay. basically their one insurance person and their like front desk scheduler person. You know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. otherwise it doesn't pencil, you know? And, um... Yeah, it's just, I would love to see that stuff covered. I would love for women to be listened to. I would love for, and then the other thing I would love is for women to stop asking other women to work for free. Like that would also be super cool. Um, Because it perpetuates this idea that quote unquote women's work isn't worth it. That we're not worth it. That women's work is less than. Right. And I, I just don't like my husband laughs about it all the time. He was like, nobody asks dudes to work for free ever. Like we don't ask dudes to work for free to come help you pack boxes when you're moving. You You know what I mean? We always bribe them. We're always like, Hey, I'll pay you to come help me move my house. You know what I mean? Like you're at a minimum. Yeah. At a minimum food and beer. Yeah. Right. And yet we ask women to do work that they have like sacrificed and gotten educated on and all that sort of stuff for free all the time. All yep. the time. And we're and really like at minimum offer them food or barter. Like well we're really I think notorious for too muddying those waters of friendship. Yes. I think we get tangled up in the especially those of us like me, I'm super extrovert. Like I want everybody like everyone is a new friend that I haven't me. gotten to know yet, right? Yeah. Um, thankfully I'm old enough that the needing everyone to like me thing has been able to be dismissed. So thank God, because yep. it really burdens Batman, but still that, <laughs> you know, like I've never had that problem. <laughs> it's a thing. And, um, so 40 helps with that, but, um, but yeah, just that muddying water of likability and relationship, I think is more tangled for women. We, we do have that need for belonging in a different way. We all humans have a need to belong, but like women in that belonging friendship, just things get even muddier. They do. And that's not to say I don't do work for free all of the time because I do. Well, because I I believe in my work so much and I understand, I know what it feels like to not have the money for shit. Yeah. You know, like I didn't have the money 
for a doula when I was pregnant with my first baby because we got pregnant on our first try, which we didn't think would happen. And my husband wasn't out of grad school yet. So we had no money. I had hyperemesis my entire pregnancy and could barely work. So we had, we had no money. Like we sold stock to basically pay for, you know, we like took it out of our retirement to pay for our midwife. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I get it. And so I'm always the first person that I'm like, Hey, you want a payment plan? Great. Hey, you want, what can we do? How can we make this work? Like, yeah. and that's Same. not to say that's not something that all of us doulas do, but to a, just give away work for funsies, I think is detrimental. I think yeah. it devalues the work that all of us do. Yeah. And asking somebody to work for free without acknowledging their work and what they bring to the table and trying to come up with something that you can contribute back to them, I think also devalues our work and devalues women. And when I mean our work, I mean women's work, women right. who work. Well, and I think too, work. on the flip side, when you're that person who asks and you, cause they know at some level, like they know and I think that too just perpetuates all of the different guilt and shame things. And Lord knows mom and women, moms and women in general don't need any more of any of that. Well, we're about to like go flying down a whole Brene Brown thing if we don't watch ourselves. So um, we are already over an hour and I know both you and I could talk about all of these topics. I know we can Yeah. Um, All right. So we'll all wrap up in the synopsis and highlights. You've shared great books, great resources, tips for those interested in photography. Um, The final question I always like to ask is, you know, helping that word thrive. I have a strong connection to because I feel like it just embodies that there's those days we feel like we're barely getting by and we're barely surviving. Never mind living, never mind thriving. And so that whole concept of thrive is something I try to keep at the forefront of my mind and helping women, you know, latch onto that. I know you feel the same way. What are some of the ways you feel you get to really live that out with your clients? With my clients? um... With helping others thrive as well. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to like get a better idea of kind of what like in their births is that kind of what you're asking more or like my life in general I'm just whatever you connect to that word wherever you connect to the word thrive yeah I mean for me I'm fun I'm funny okay because I'm a little bit of a weirdo who I'm the kind of a straight shooter and like for me because I'm a four like everything comes from my own personal perspective and blah 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 um But I feel like finally with my kids being three and five, that I am thriving again in life before much before this. Nope. Wasn't thriving. I was surviving. I was getting by. I was making it work. I was stringing together enough success to, to get by, to pay my bills, to my relationship was, surviving, you know, um, my relationship with myself was surviving. My health was like decent, you know? Um, and you know, I definitely, I'm very honest when I talk to my clients about, you know, when they're having a baby or maybe their second baby or a third or fourth baby. And they're like, Oh, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. And I'm like, I know 
And remember, it's not, you're not going to feel, you might not feel great for a while. Don't get divorced in six months. It's probably not the best thing. All right. So probably. I already, I already love where you're taking your answer and yeah. I want to actually rephrase <clears throat> because that's totally real. And it's not all just put on a happy face and like, no matter what you can be thriving. That's yeah. super, super valid. And it's super, I feel like there's an expectation for that. And as a person who is used to thriving after I had kids and was not thriving at all, it made me feel like my life was over. No, I'm super, I'm super glad you took us there because, um, yeah, I'm sure that question can come off that way. And it is very true. So here, let me, let me ask a different question. What can we do as people who are now, and I'm further down the road, my kids are 11 and 14, Trevor will be 12 next week. So what can we do now that we do feel we're thriving? Yeah. Because there are parts that are just going to suck. Let's face it. There's no way to make sleep deprivation thriving, right? Nope. And there are certain aspects of struggle, whether in your marriage, whether kids, there's struggle. Yep. So it's, it's not... All sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. For sure. <laughs> Sorry, but it's also not all doom and gloom. So, so, but yeah. Yeah, no. Let's. I'm. I'm all about like let's keep it real. So, the new question I want to ask is, how can those of us who are on the other side, at least help them see the light, help them have the hope um, that it's not forever, that they are not stuck, that the glimpses are worth hanging on to, that. How can we bring some of the other side pieces to that space? I do think yeah. it's still possible. Like you can't yeah, they are possible. at all. You know, and for me, I know when I was in that place, before I felt like I was thriving again, I had to have those little glimmers, those little bits and reminders. And I was lucky that I have a cousin whose kids are like her youngest, she has four kids and her youngest just turned seven. So she's like, at the tail end, she was at the tail end of where I'm at now when I had my babies, you know, and, um, she always just said, Nicole, I know it feels like you're in a, like you're in a pit, but I promise you it's a tunnel. You can't see the light at the end of it because it's a long tunnel, but I promise you it's a tunnel and find the little things that you can do to help you get through it. You know, for me, that was exercise. I, I'm one of those people that exercise does make me feel good, you know, and it does build my endorphins up and it does get me out of depressive states. And so for me, exercise was like the key to my, my survival that got me to being able to thrive now. And now, you know, we, um, my husband and I, I think for us, you know, we, his parents are much older than mine. They're um, in their early seventies, which is not old, but my parents are in their late fifties. So, um, and I see both sets of them, unfortunately, slowing down a lot. Like they haven't been super active in years. And my husband and I have really decided, like, because we had kids later in life, we were both in our 30, well, Ryan was 40 and 42 when we had our kids, I think, or 38 and 40, 38 and 40, God, I'm like aging my poor husband. Um, 
I was in my mid thirties, like early to mid thirties, but we just don't want to like curl up and die and get, you know, like what? Yeah. No, we want to like live our best lives now. You know, we want to be around that if my, if the world survives and my children are able to have children that I can be the fun grandma. I can right. still, I can take them skiing and take them down a double black diamond if I want to. And I can take them up a mountain and teach them how to repel. And, you know, I don't want to just be some like little old fat lady who like has 10 cats. Like that's not my goal in life. And so, you know, it's something that I'm really trying to hit home with my, with my children. And even when I do my mentoring, like don't settle for like, mediocrity in your life yeah. like find the things that like fire you up and just focus your energy there don't worry about everything else like you'll never see my house perfectly clean my bed is rarely made I'm not that person like yeah. because I don't really care right and you know what my mom's not here and so she can't tell me to make my bed absolutely well and I think one of the that's things too that's so dear to my heart about that word thrive is that women and especially in that new mom phase lose ourselves. Yes. And some of that's critical. You are becoming a whole new creation that will never be the same again. So that transformation can be painful, but I don't think it has to be as bad as it so often is. I think that's where, that's what I'm trying to get at when I'm like bringing that thrive or like the tunnel analogy is brilliant. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've said those words. Oh yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect because the pit is real, but it's actually like, it's perfect. Yeah. But I do think it doesn't, we don't have to be as lost. We have to change. But I, I just think if we could be walking alongside each other in that process, it wouldn't have I to agree. feel so dark. I agree. Yeah. I mean, our, our idea, this idea of like the nuclear family, this idea that like your husband should be everything to you. I don't even know who tried to create that whole dynamic, but it's some bull hanky. Um, <laughs> don't women need down. other women. Yeah. Yeah. And not in like mean mom shit. Like no. women need community. Raising yeah. children takes community. And I, it, and I see it all the time as a birth doula, right? When I'm in consults, when I'm talking to women about having a baby, maybe they're having their first baby. And they're like, oh, well, I just really want it to be me and my husband. And I'm like, oh, cool. Your husband who knows absolutely nothing about birth and babies. Definitely. He sounds like the right support person. hundred percent. Yep. He's a dude. He doesn't even have a uterus, but he should. Yep. I'm sure he's going to spend as much time researching birth and babies as you are. Right. Or you are. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't even have time to get into nope. why having a community. I really think it yeah. comes back to women surrounding themselves with other women who have babies, who have children, and remind and the different can phases. Be reminded yeah. that they're not alone in this journey, right? Yeah. Well, and that's definitely part of the community I'm hoping to create in the new space because it new moms need to be around other new moms for that shared experience and yeah. that. I'm not alone and I'm not the only one, but they can't help each other group. When I had my first baby, I was like alone. I was like, Oh shit. I don't actually know anybody with babies. Like, but they can't help each other because they're in the same pit. Yeah. Those of us that are further along the tunnel. I knew like two people. I was like, Hey, if you run into anybody who has a baby the same age as us, invite them to our baby group. Cause we're going to have a mom and baby group. We literally did. 
there was like yeah. 12 of us that got together at my house one time and then we started doing it every month like awesome. for a while because yeah. none of us had anybody right bananas well girl i have to wrap this up i know but we both have other appointments um it's true love talking to you i'm Great so glad you were you. on um and we'll do it again because we're super not done Dang <laughs> 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 schedules rules and routine um but you guys this has been another episode of belly's babies and birth and thank you so much for nicole for being on and we'll link her websites and like i said those other resources she mentioned we'll put all that in the show notes and give you ways to reach her and get in touch with her as well and stay tuned for our next episode but for now we're gonna wrap it up take care you guys